we, we, we should rap about things that we like, like, like food. That's what. You bugging ass Jeff, you know it. We're gonna be like the Partridge family, but with food. You like food, don't you? Got any uh, white bread? Yes. Oh, wait. I am the spaghetti. Duval, you're not the spaghetti. I am the spaghetti. Let go of the lid. Just spaghetti in here. Is this organic? Sure. Is it grass-fed? Yes. Cruelty-free? What's so special about the cheese maker? As the saying goes, you are what you eat. And I am freaking cheese. <laughs> Get out of bed for eating crackers. How about four bees, Mr. Taggart? I'd say you've had enough. <laughs> yes, uh, two, two, uh, two weeks in a row with a beekeeper. It's pretty... Uh, <laughs> I'm on a mini... I should call it beekeeping month. Well, it is honey month, isn't it? Is it? I, I think, don't know. Yeah, well, um, Flow Hive were doing a, a, promo- oh, a right. promotion based on it, so... Well, if anyone was going to uh, have the the power to institute making <laughs> a whole month about bees, it'd probably be them. I got I got a little sort of funny, um, cheesy related. Uh, I talked to them. I can't remember someone someone put me onto them before before they started their fundraising. Yeah. Me and, too. And well, obviously, you know, you probably a lot earlier than me, but I was like, oh, cool. This <laughs> this sounds interesting. Could be like a like yeah. n- nice niche little product, and so mm. I, I contacted them and said, like, would you love to, like to come on the pod? And they're like, yeah, yeah, that'd be good. We'll you know we'll hook up a we're a bit busy this week because the launch is next week, but we'll we'll yeah. hook up hook up a time, and then never heard from them again. <laughs> yeah, well, I I got on some pretty early, but I I I, I talked to them because they're actually from uh, well, they're from Byron Bay, but they have relatives in Canberra. Yep. So they got on to me when they were visiting the relatives, and when I talked to them, they just had kind of like I had to sign non-disclosures. They had designs, and they didn't they didn't show me a working prototype. So I was kind of in the camp of, oh yeah, that's cool if it'll work, if mm. it'll work. And then once I saw the working working prototype and uh, the marketing videos that they were putting together, I was like, oh man, this is going to really take off. So well, crazy. We should start there because. Um one of the one of the reasons I was really keen to talk to you because I'm interested to find out what you think you're gonna learn on your little journey you're gonna do. Yeah, because yeah, cool. Uh, like the the funny thing I find about beekeeping, and I'm 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 like at your absolute bottom level amateur. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I'm right down the bottom of the pile. I got two hives. I've never had more than the people with. Well, I've never had more than t- two hives. I've I've had yeah. some struggles with um, small hive beetle with a, a guy that was keeping his hives on my property as well. Right, you're on the coast, right, or close to it? Yeah, so sort of halfway in between Brisbane and Gold Coast. Yeah. So mostly sort of like a bit of wattle, lots of lantana flower, yeah. which Ooh. is <laughs> I don't think the bees do very much with, but uh, yeah. There's plenty of it around. Um, cool. uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm just interested to, like, are you expecting to see, like, a beehive's a beehive, isn't it? Like, there hasn't really been yeah. that many um, variations on the standard hive, what, for yeah. quite a while? Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I'm in the camp that's uh, 
I think when it really comes down to it, bees don't really care what kind of box that they're in. No. Um, and that I think it's more about like when I what I say to people I'm talking to if they're new is that it's more like buying a car. It's kind of, you know, different people are going to have different needs. Your soccer moms are going to want the van. You know, tradies are going to buy you. I think it's more about that. You need to be able to have a hive that's going to allow you as a beekeeper to to, to do the best you can to um, – Sure, yeah. they want longevity, you know what I mean? To me, it's more like a vehicle to be able to, to assist them. So, given that, the flow hive doesn't really change much about the really important stuff when it comes to making sure bees are really healthy, like being able to check brood and things like that, uh, assess the amount of nectar they're bringing in and that kind of thing. It just makes getting honey Easier. Like 90% easier. Well, yeah, the, so I think the common people thing they throw around is it makes 20% of beekeeping 90% easier. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's great. I think the, the design of the, the, the flow hive and especially Stu Anderson, the guy behind it, top-notch, total bee activist, going above and beyond his pay grade as an inventor. You know, he's a real advocate these days all over the world. Well, couldn't, and that, get- they don't sort of just let people hang out too. Like the amount of information they yep. got out there in terms of videos and like, oh, yeah. you know, I, I get the little Instagram live things every week and, yeah. you yeah. know, they're not just sort of flogging a product and abandoning people. The, the, yeah. The, the thing I like about it as as that rank amateur is if, if I opened – so I, I never really take more than a couple of frames at a time and I don't um, – I don't spin them. I just I just cut the the honeycomb out and, and sort of strain. Yeah, it. let it drip. Yeah, yep. and then and then I start with. I don't even start with foundation. I start with a completely empty. Well, I usually just put that frame back in and let them build yeah. it out from from scratch. Yep. So it's all like you know. I'm not I'm not maximizing my honey potential, but yeah, totally. Um, you know, my. Well, I mean, that's not really the goal of beekeeping. You know, that's uh, no. I, I advocate that kind of approach as well. For well, sure. I'd- I just like having them. Like it's it's a little bit yeah, like, exactly. like you know, I've got I got this place and I wanted to have cows and bees. That was the the two things I really wanted. And a and a rooster. The land of milk and honey, huh? <laughs> um and I just don't I don't have my cows at the moment either, which is a, another story, but um uh and the and the year I ha- I went sort of a year without bees when I got I got right. wiped out by the um I got wiped out by the small hive beetle, and then my my, my I bought a split, and my best mate bought me a new hive at exactly like, <laughs> within a week of each other. So, uh, Destiny. Um, and then I sort of I've been a lot more, um, uh, I guess, a lot more proactive this time around than I was last time. Yep. You know, and and I and I've got a, a guy helping me now. Like I've got a proper a proper beekeeper who sort of comes and requeens oh, cool. and. And checks, yep. and I, th- I think that's the every, everyone I talk to about the flow hive is like just find fa- fa- like the beekeepers are so friendly and they're so willing to help. Yeah, <laughs> just totally. find someone that knows what they're doing and get them to help you until you know what you're doing. Absolutely, that's I can't advocate that enough either. Whenever I'm talking to people who are thinking about getting into it, because that's one thing the flow hive did is really the save the bees kind of movement was really kind of kicking off over the last few years. And the flow hive, people don't give enough credit for the amount of awareness it brought around to bees and beekeeping in general, because that was so viral. And so many people bought it on a whim or impulse and then kind of realized depth of what they were getting themselves into. But that's, I said that too, man, like, yeah, find someone. Because beekeeping is such a practical thing as well. You, you really got to have someone to show you, I think. Yeah. Well, um, I, I still- If it's in a course or with a mentor, you know. I, I still am 
hopeless at finding a queen. Absolutely hopeless. Yeah. It's just, That's just... one of the hardest hardest things. Actually, uh, yeah, I remember you saying that to uh, Brad the Beeman in the last one, but yeah. uh, I, I had a thought then because on the on the polar scale to that, my granddad who's been uh, keeping bees since he was like 16, he's well into I think he's 70s now, full-time commercial beekeeper, uh, stay in one area his whole life. He's really got it figured out. He knows his bees, everything. He can pull out one brood frame, eight frame Langstroth. He can pull out the second frame from the end or the third frame and have a look at the brood, make a, a guesstimation on where the queen is in her laying pattern and then wow. just pull the next frame out. Like from hive <laughs> to hive, you can just go, oh, it's probably this one pulled out. I swear nine times out of 10, that man will pull out two frames and, and, and be able to find the queen. And I've said to him, man, like, oh, how do you do that? You could write a book on just that technique and how you do it. And he just goes, I don't know how to, I'd explain it to you. I just no. Yeah, well, uh, we, I've got a sporting podcast as well, and and yeah. we sort of talk about coaching a fair bit. And one of the things we talk about again and again is when Wally Lewis was um, the Gold Coast coach, and right. he had a not very talented five eighth, and they were training, and you know they're running they're running sort of live drills, and Lewis is just screaming at this guy, just you know, why aren't you seeing this? Why aren't you doing this? Yeah. And and the guy broke down and said, look. I don't know what you're seeing. Can you explain it to me? And Lewis yeah. was like, um, "No, actually, I can't. <laughs> if if you oh, can't man. if you can't see it, I can't explain it." And so yeah. he, he literally finished that training session and went and resigned because he realised that while he was a great great right. player and he could see it, he couldn't actually. Wow impart that knowledge onto someone else because that's a different step because granddad my granddad is uh definitely not a book smart beekeeper he's figured out what he's doing through you know years and trial years of and trial and error yeah yeah so he just knows what he knows because it's just the way it is he's just figured it out over years and years and then the step to be able to understand it so comprehensively to be able to teach it to someone else is, is another yeah step isn't it well ex- Interesting. Ex- explain your little because i've been following you and your mum I, I guess since I got on Twitter, or since yeah, you guys- mum, mum mentioned that she'd heard of you. I was like, oh, I'm going to be on this podcast, and she was like, who is it? And I was like, uh, I think the podcast is called Cheezo, Cheesy, a guy named Bezo. And he, she goes, mm, rings a bell, and then I spoke to her about Lanterland, and she was like, oh yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, well, I probably pestered her with like a million questions yeah. when, I, when I first got my bees. So uh, she loves that. Um, so yeah, yeah well, uh, explain well, what you to. did in, in, in what you did originally in Canberra with the urban stuff. Yeah, so, um, well, it was actually originally pretty much all mum at the time I was finishing college. I was in like year 11, year 12. Uh, Mum and I and the family had been selling the family's honey uh, straight to the consumer at the Canberra Farmers Markets there, Capital Region Farmers Market. Always give them a shout out. Um, And people would always come up to us, the story is, people would come up to us, and I still remember this even though it's a while, it's like five years ago now. We're going back even six or seven years. Um... People were starting to come up to us saying things like, man, I really struggle with my harvest this year. I'm trying to be more sustainable. Uh, Canberra's a city, but really it's just a suburb yeah. metropolis. There's a lot of places in Canberra that's got quite large backyards, and there's a lot of people on that sustainability wave trying to be a little bit more self-sufficient. Anyway, yeah, people were just noticing a lack of bees, and we'd been, we hadn't been keeping bees in Canberra, but as it just being a part of our existence for me and mum our entire life, you know, you kind of have your eye on the weather. And just same as any agriculture, really. You start to think, oh, there's a bit of rain here, a bit of rain there. It's been dry, you know. And so we'd been thinking that there had been like three or four years of probably really bad bee weather for bees in Canberra, 
possibly a lot of wild hives would have really struggled and, and just sort of yeah, died just out. Struggled to keep up. Yeah, and maybe died out. And then the hobbyists as well at the time, they, they might have just been struggling as well. Um, this is all unsubstantiated. We have no idea if, it, if we what we think was happening was happening or not. I'm not a researcher, you know, it's just in the street, so to speak. So we, um, people were always saying, oh, can you put a beehive in our backyard? And we basically got sick of saying no. <laughs> so mum started Canberra Urban Honey uh, Social Enterprise, I think is what we ended up calling it. The idea was to bring in hives from our commercial apiaries up from Inverell, part of my granddad, my uncle and my cousins, reintroduce them into Canberra. And uh, once we said that we were doing it and had a bit of a fundraiser, we did a Kickstarter or Indiegogo, I think at the time actually, uh, to cover the cost of bringing the bees in. Once we said, we've got the bees, who wants them? Who wants them in the backyard? We blew up basically in, yeah. in the Canberra scene. We're in the, in the news and uh, just so much contact. It was really overwhelming as it was originally meant to be basically just mum doing it as a weekend warrior, something as a hobby. Yep. Um, and that highlighted to us that maybe the issue is actually a little bit worse than we ex- than we actually thought it already might have been. So were you, um, were you selling yeah. the hives or were you, mate, you you're basically running them like an apiary and going around and harvesting uh, it straight out of them? Yeah, practically adjustment. Really? Yeah. We were uh, just borrowing people's backyards. There was a time where we were charging people to have hives in their backyard. But once we kind of got off our feet and started getting a little bit of honey to cover costs, uh, we stopped doing that just because it wasn't it didn't well, feel right. Oh. The whole point of the, the program was for it to be a sustainable, you know, yep. pollinator supporting thing, not a, not a uh, you know, like a high-end business kind of thing. We yeah, always just yeah. tried to help help people um i don't know i don't know if you're up to that bit in the pod but i was telling brad i went for a run up the sunny coast through the sort of one of main main roads through suburbia there and because it was it's like 60k an hour but it's four lanes so they've got Mm. big native sort of barriers native tree you know shrubbery barriers along i don't know five or six kilometers of road and this particular week like I don't know, there would have been 10 or 15 different species in this barrier and it was just all <laughs> out in flower. And I'm like, this is more blossom than I've got in my entire fucking valley, you know, in this yeah, in this yeah. one little suburb. And I was just like, man, if you had a if you had a hive here, you'd just be absolutely like you you'd, yeah. you'd you'd have to be robbing every week. You'd be on that much of a flow. Yeah. Um, we we expected to really struggle keeping bees in Canberra, given that we assumed it was a city and it's a new area. We didn't think there'd be a lot of biodiversity and that all the honey would be the same and stuff like that. But, man, we were so wrong. Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, people call Canberra the bush capital because we've got a lot of reserves and foresty areas within the city. It's honestly, if it wasn't such, uh, if Canberra didn't have such shitty weather, it would be a a great place to keep bees for sure. So, So what's bad about the weather? Is it just too cold? It's, uh, it's, uh... I guess temperamental is probably the right term. Ah, It's actually surprisingly similar in temperature variance across the year as Inverell in the New England area, which would suggest that it's a great place to keep bees because you get uh, pretty cold lows and pretty nice highs, but it's in the New England area, at least it's more consistent. You know, you can kind of be more predictive with how the weather's going to be in Canberra, man. It's like spring and autumn are just four seasons in a day and bees can adapt to temperature variance as long as it's consistent if it's a different thing every day it, i think it really yeah. well it's, it, it's, it's hard for them it's very and hard humans. for the, uh, 
quite h- very hard for them to sort of unblock all the holes in a hive and yeah, turn exactly. the air conditioning on, and then, then yeah, the yeah. next day build it back up again and reseal. Yeah, that's it. exactly right. They can refurbish their home to fit pretty much any weather condition. But I mean, if you put in a big time investment for it because it's cold, and the next day it's hot, you're screwed. <laughs> well, g- going back to the to the um, like beehive technology, have you tried any of the polystyrene hives? Dude, that's the craze at the moment, isn't it? Oh, just, I just, yeah, I just, and I, I saw a little bit. Again, it's it's a marketing blurb, so I'm not sure, and mm. I don't have enough hives to be able to do the sort of yeah em- empirical research. But yeah, it it makes sense that if you could keep that temperature variance um, in a narrower band, mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, you, you, that's less work for the hive to do, which means more, you know, they're happier and more honey. Yeah. Well, again, I think it comes back to every vehicle is different. I don't think, well, it definitely has scientific insulation properties that is probably better than wood mm. and probably better than plastic as well. So it's good in that respect. But um, no, I haven't, I haven't tried them a lot. I've got a couple of nukes that I've been using, I've been playing around with, and they're doing really well. Yeah. I don't know if they'd be doing better than other hives in that same area but yeah we got a guy down here that sells them and he gave us a talk uh, i should shout him out which is australian honeybee i think is his, yeah that's his- that's the guy that's the um place i've been looking at the at the yeah, hive yeah. So. he's he's actually based in canberra so he gave a talk at our act beekeepers association and man they they seem really good like they're nice and light as well as a nice yep. quality oh man like that'd be nice on the back especially if you were doing full loads and stuff but, yeah uh, well that, but they're that, also expensive you know <laughs> yeah well that's what brad said he's like you know they're four times the price of what i'm paying for boxes mm. so you but know, then they also claim that it lasts way longer than wood and stuff like that yeah. apparently they're easy to repair if they break you just glue them back together you know that kind of stuff i'm i'm way more um if i if, like if i were to be a full-time commercial beekeeper i'd probably just do it the way my family's always done it just because yeah. i know that that works which is just wood hives and really looking up well really looking after them with uh with you know paint as, and yeah, just good paint and just uh treating them and fixing them and taking like the first hives we brought in were in boxes my granddad the first boxes yeah. he bought. Well, uh, you know, so they're like 50, 60 years old, and I know that they're not affecting my bees negatively. I've, the box that I just put my split into actually is the original box that I got from that my what. So my wife knew that I wanted bees, and and she sort of got a few people together, and they got me a, a box for my thirtieth birthday. <laughs> That's great. Um, cool. And that box when I got it looked ancient, like it looked yeah, like it was. Yeah. 20 or 30 years old then and it's had another yeah. 10 years on it and and I've just given it a sand down and a repaint um and it's yep. got it's got that uh it's got that nuke in it I just yeah. put the nuke into it on the weekend so um nice yeah, yeah so I think wood can hold up if you look after it correctly but that being said if, if people don't know how or if you just neglect it it can also go quite horribly down the trail as well. Yeah, so we, we get some really hot days here, so much so that I've never put my hives in full sun. Like, yeah, yeah. My, my hives are always in partial shade because, like, I sort of feel like, well, there's, there's days here where I wouldn't want to be out sitting in the sun for three or four oh, hours, yeah. let, let alone in a wooden box. So, you yeah, know, absolutely. I should, should probably not try and let them be out in a wooden box in the middle of the day either. <laughs> yeah, I've heard people, horror stories of uh, people not really doing enough kind of reading around when they get their hives and ending up with metal lids. Oh, and, right. And it's just in, in Queensland sun, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And then just like you get the like top, 
sometimes top bars have a similar problem where the wax will it actually gets so hot the, the wax honey, will melt. honeycomb will yeah disconnect from the frames or uh. off the top bars and just yeah bad so I mean if you have the money for it those polystyrene hires are probably excellent I, if I was a hobbyist beekeeper and I was just thinking about really getting into it for the long term and had, a, had enough money put aside to kind of invest in I'd probably go for one for sure see see I'm a bit of a um, I'm a bit of a tech guy like I, yeah. I've, I've got a little software company on the side and, and I love my tech so all this stuff is like I just want to try it. Like oh, I've got this, yeah, yeah, totally. This, this natural curiosity is just like, well, it'd be interesting to give it a go and just to see whether it works. Like um, you'd be really into all the uh, hive pads you can get, where they'll like keep a constant record of how heavy your hive is. Oh, right, yeah, so, that's uh, like that's it'll crazy. give you a readout. Like if your hive suddenly gets really heavy, then the bees might be bringing in a lot of nectar, stuff like that. Yeah, thermal. Uh, there's a lot of people doing thermal stuff with bees. Yep. Trying to like make sure the temperature's all right. But um, I can't remember his name and I'm going to hate myself for it later. But the guy that runs Australian Honeybee, who's selling the polystyrene stuff down this way, he's really into uh, a scientific method to prove that it's better. Um, he's got researchers and he's, he's collaborating. I think I'm talking out of my ass a little bit here. I think he's collaborating with people who work with CSIRO. I don't know if it's an actual collaboration with CSIRO, but I know he's got scientists like proper dudes on it to try and. Uh, be able to prove it's what they're claiming. Yeah. Especially intralative properties and uh, that there's a lot of people in the natural camp that are worried about it off-gassing and stuff like that. So, he's trying to fight down that criticism as well. Yeah. Well, I think that there's definitely, like I know, um, uh, I've got a friend who has a, a, a company called Hand Sourced, which sort of um, puts people in, she, she, she does stuff from farmers directly to the consumer. So, oh, great. you know, in, interesting things, not not the normal stuff. So, yeah. uh, geese and venison <laughs> and uh, like stuff, oh. stuff like that. So, um, I can't remember, Flow Hide offered a, a deal and I was talking to them and I said, look, I, I might have a group that would be interested in it if I could get sort of 10 mm. people that were interested. Do you want to do a deal for them? They said, sure, you know, it's right down our alley, sort of more sustainable. Totally. And I, and I put it up on Facebook. And what was really interesting was anyone that had been interested in hives had talked to a beekeeper and like a, a traditional beekeeper and that traditional beekeeper had said, don't touch a flow hive, it's shit. Yeah. that um- I, I got so much, so much blowback on it. And I was just like, yeah, well, and I like in the end, I just, I just sort of look, I don't know any of you people. I'm not going to touch yeah. it, you, you know, that- um, do your own research and find yeah, out yourself yeah, something. Yeah, your so, mind up. Um, that. You touched on that's probably the one thing. Like I love this industry, and I love, I love your traditional country beekeepers as much as anyone could. But that is probably the single biggest disappointment in terms of attitude I've had seen from the industry towards a product. Um, and I think it just comes down to maybe a little bit of miscommunication because, like you and I had more of a touch with the flow hive. I've known the guys personally. Uh, I was there for the launch. I knew the kind of people they were. They're not out to make a buck. They had no. a great product. It was probably marketed, in my opinion, a little bit too well as the <laughs> end-all, be-all bee box where anyone could have honey. And they Wait. responded to that criticism where you can just set and forget to this massive campaign of educating the people that were selling their product. They didn't have to do that. No. Like you were saying, they're just the pure, the, the amount of stuff that's on their side is, it's pretty comprehensive and it's pretty non-biased. Well, I, I, I think, mean, I think they expected to sell 
like one one hundredth of what they sold, maybe Absolutely. even one one thousand. Like, there's no way they thought it would blow up like it did. Not into like an international multi-million company for sure overnight. No, I know? think I think they thought they would be basically selling to people like me, you know. In, yeah, and in, I thought interested hobbyists that want because the the thing with the flow hive is that, and this is what I try and say to people that are interested in it. When I I'm not. I'm not an expert beekeeper and I don't do it every weekend, so I'm not improving my skills at a fast rate. So yeah. if, if I go to rob the hive, I kill bees. I do. Yeah. It's like yeah. I can't help it. You know, I'm putting a frame back in and I'm squashing them and, I, like, I feel really bad about it, but I just don't have the skills built up. And it's not easy to get to that point where you can have a non-fatality, you know, yeah. inspection. Full stop. That's just not easy. That takes years of experience. But, but if I need to, like, if I can see the hive is full and I need to take some honey off so they don't swarm, then I can go and crack it in on a cloudy day where they're not mm. going to get angry and take off a frame of honey and give them a bit of space to put honey into, and yeah. I don't and I don't kill a single bee, so that's mm. better better mm. for my hive. Like, yeah, totally. I mean, sometimes you have to crack a hive. That's all it is, really. I mean, even if you're worried about them having disease or if you've really got to get in there to check for hive beetle, as mm. you know, your case might be. Sometimes you got to go to the bottom box. You don't really know what's going on in the colony until you have a good look at the brood. Yeah. But uh, yeah, getting back to the criticism of the flow hive. Um, the biggest concern in the industry is that a whole bunch of people who didn't know bees were going to get bees, get a flow hive, buy packaged bees, throw them in the box, and then forget about it. And then obviously that's going to lead to decay of the quality of you know the the condition of the bees and possibly lead to disease, which would then I mean something unique about our industry is that. Um, what we do affects our neighbour. Yeah. You could, have, you could have two dairy farmers well, in paddocks next to each other and what they're going to do, you know, obviously it affects each other. But not but to I mean, the same if, extent. Well, yeah, well, like if I'm not looking after my bees and I develop EFB or AFB and it gets really bad, I could potentially wipe out my neighbour's colonies as well. Um, well, like I've had first-hand experience of that because I had mm. th three or four years where I basically did the real minimalist um, – version of beekeeping you know I, yeah. I open my hive sort of twice a year to check the bottom boxes and to you know put some fresh frames in the bottom but mm -hmm. other than that i sort of i'd open them i'd take a frame out to give them a bit of space put a fresh one in and that was it like i didn't do much never yep. had it never had any problems with pests at all um this this guy i knew brought his three boxes in now he was opening the hives all the time all the time and the boxes that he brought in had small hive beetle mm. um now now I know if I've got small hive beetle, I've got to keep on top of it. I've got to keep checking, make sure my traps are, you know, stocked up and everything. But back then, that backfired on me because he brought in hives with pests and the pests mm. got into my hives and I wasn't on top of it. So Yeah, it's tragic sometimes. But, I mean, on that, though, I think you can't really learn without making mistakes. So I have no problem with people uh, figuring out things the hard way. Sometimes that just ha that's just how you, gotta, mm. how you learn, you know. But, yeah, so that's... Uh, a lot of the old-timey beekeepers guys probably uh, understandably saw a real threat to their livelihood. And then that just resulted, I think, in a lot of unwarranted negative energy, for lack of a better term. And it's still, it's still around with some people. I mean, it's, it's, it's just so funny. It's such, a, um, it's such an awesome design and it hit the, bee, it hit the, the world bee industry really so hard. <laughs> so because of that, it had its first share of controversy as well and it's yeah. still... I mean, so, that's one of the most hotly debated topics in our association at the moment, for sure. Yeah, right. Um, so, 
you're going like through Asia and then America and Europe, is that right? Uh, not quite. I'm going straight to America first. But the idea, the story is that basically the last four years I've been uh, running Canberra Urban Honey, selling local honey. Um, did my family proud and got an Urban Honey gold medal in the in the uh, <laughs> in the Canberra show. In, no, in the national honey show. At Sydney. Oh right, yeah, yeah. It's the uh, only Urban Honey to ever win a gold in the. In the National Honey Show, so I'll toot my own horn a little bit there and, <laughs> and move on. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of ready to move on for it. It feels like we're not getting those kind of questions at the markets anymore, and I think partly because of the flow hive, maybe because of some of the work we did, and just the the general awareness of the the struggle of the bees in in the community in general. Is there's way more beekeepers. Our association, our memberships like tripled in the last three years. So many more beekeepers in Canberra. So the problem seems to, I mean, the problem we originally set out to be a part of the solution to has kind of settled down, I think, at least a little bit. So I don't feel like, I mean, I originally had the idea that I'd be Canberra's beekeeper, you know, Canberra's yeah. full-time guy. And I, I was be, that for four you, years. You'd be the godfather of Canberra beekeeper. <laughs> yeah, that was that would yeah. be the dream. I'd have an empire, you know, <laughs> nah, all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, so... Uh, I've been for a long time. I've had the opinion that if you want to be a truly exceptional beekeeper, which is definitely what I've set my heart on, being you know top tier, one of the best, is you either got to stay where you are for your entire beekeeping existence to be able to let the the your area and and nature really seep into your soul, so you can do things like pick two frames out and find the queen, and you know mm-hmm. and just be able to really just have such a vast experience in such a significant area where you can make crazy predictions and there's certainly a few commercial guys that and even hobbyists that have been in it for long enough that have that just raw level of experience or i often found as well that you can um get as broad a view and understanding of beekeeping as possible and that means travel basically so that's what i decided to uh head off and do i'll be i'll be really interested and you'll have to you know the, the the power of skype you'll have to um you know check in Maybe in a couple of couple of months, and we'll and we'll have a chat sure. about what you've been doing. But I'm I'm really interested to see whether you find like eighty percent of it is exactly the same, but the twenty percent <laughs> is really different. Yeah. Or whether you get just completely alien sort of practices oh, different and stuff. Yeah. Um. So the trip at the moment, I'm going to America. I'm having a bit of a break because I'm pretty flat out the last few years. I'm going to go work at a summer camp just for a bit of fun, not really beekeeping related, but that's going to be the first few months. Uh, and then I'm going straight to Turkey to attend uh, Apimondia, which is the International Congress of Beekeeping. They have an, a biannual, is that right? Yeah, every two years conference. Yep. And I went to it two years ago in Korea and, oh, man, I learned so much. And I'll, I'll have a little bit of insight as to that 80-20 kind of idea. Um, I found that beekeeping is probably 60% the same as far as you go. Like, the basics don't change, you know what I mean? Yeah. But the techniques and more specifically how people adapt to their own ecosystem and their own biodiversity is fascinating to me. Everyone has – like, I was talking to a guy that has – he designed uh, – basically a Langstroth hive that on the outside was an eight frame full depth. And on the inside was an eight, no, sorry, 10 frame full depth on the outside, eight frame full depth on the inside, and then insulated foam sprayed in between those two uh, boxes. Yeah. <laughs> like super mega insulation. Cause he was keeping bees uh, somewhere in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Right. And he, to protect them from the heat. And he also found that getting them a meter off the ground on a, on a really big stand made a temperature difference of like 20 degrees because it was so hot in the sand. Yep. Um, but I found that beekeepers, the individual, are pretty much the same. same. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 
it attracts. See, like, and that's the sort of thing that I, I'm like. If if I if I can split my two hives this year and I get four hives, I think that's definitely something that I'll experiment with. Like, yep. I've I've always thought, you know, how would a full mesh bottom on a beehive in Queensland go? Because like, yeah. it, ne- it never gets cold enough here to warrant. Yeah, you know, ha- having to have a full wouldn't and and like i've thought about that too like what if you put a beehive in an esky <laughs> yeah see stuff like that's fascinating to me as well and a, a full mesh bottom would probably help with small hive beetle as well uh, typically a small mesh at the bottom is helps stops uh, them from getting in so easily apparently and the other one that um i've always wondered about well the other thing that i do is i like my main beehive is in my chook pen so right. you, you know like and the I can't remember where I read this theory, but the theory is that you know the bees push the small hive beetle out, and chickens mm, eat them, and the, and they lay their eggs, or and the chickens scratch it up. Like if you throw the seed yeah. underneath the beehive, the chickens are always scratching mm-hmm. that up, and there's mm. there's never that ground for the small hive beetle to lay in that's yeah. sort of sitting there. Yeah, right. oh, that's interesting because the whole point of stopping a small hive beetle is you need to stop the initial incursion because mm. those bastards breed so damn quickly that once they kind of get a foothold, yeah, it's just they launch this full offensive and completely take over. I've had a couple hives slimed out before as well. It's not pretty. No, it happens, it's, it's it disgusting, isn't too. it? Yeah. Um, so I'm 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 primarily focused in two things really. I just I want to uh, get out into the world and find out as much about beekeeping as I can. And I've got, after Turkey, I'm going to go live with a, a, a Dutch beekeeper living in France, a friend of mine, Milan. Uh, I met him at Korea, and he was a really great friend of mine. We clicked really, really instantly. Uh, I visited him last year when I went to Europe, and he's setting up. He's got a few apiaries where he's living, and he's really getting into queen breeding now. And I, my family, we do... We used to breed our own queens, but I never really got a full education in it. So I'm keen to go learn with him. Mm. And then from there, I'm, I've got uh, there's some natural beekeeping courses that you can do in Germany that you can that's really progressive, and you can only get them in Germany. I don't consider myself a natural beekeeper. I like to think I kind of <laughs> I'd like to be able to understand all all bases, but I think it has its merits. And uh, to be able to learn from the best is on any topic is uh, pretty awesome. So what what about Africa? Because th- do they keep the African bee in Africa or do they keep the European bee in Africa? Like, is it impossible to keep full European hives in Africa? So they have both, but my understanding is that there are commercial hives are both. I think they do do some actual apiculture on the African bees, but they do keep a lot of Apis mellifera as well. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to remember. There's this really rare, unique honey you can only get in certain parts of Africa. I don't, I'm not sure if it's an Apis mellifera honey or an African bee. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's all stuff that I eventually want to get to. Right now, I've only got plans up till staying with Milan and France. But, uh, yeah, the world is my oyster. <laughs> well, the, the one that I've, I've always wanted to see up live, just, just because I find it fascinating, is the um, – and I think it's in Mozambique. But the right. – um, like, they have farms that they – like, every 10 metres, there's a new hive. Mm, to, to, mm. Keep, to keep the elephants out because the elephants yeah. won't go near a bee. Yeah. And so, like, instead of, like, a, a, a barbed wire a mesh fence, yeah. you've got these, like, new hives <laughs> sort of hanging seven foot off off the ground. And I'm just like, yeah. that's just amazing. Like, I often think that's a funny uh, <laughs> metaphor for how crazy we are as beekeepers. Elephants are smart enough to know that they shouldn't go near them. Yeah. <laughs> and we're sticking our heads in them every other week. And and it looks um, it looks really weird because it's just like you know these beautiful sort of 
vegetable farms with no fence but just a hive. And, and like, yeah, obviously, that's hard. good for the vegetables. If you've got that many bees oh, yeah. around, you, you know, you, you, you're going to be pretty sure your tomatoes get pollinated. But I bet the first guy that uh, put that together was like, man, I had a great yield this year. The elephants didn't ruin all my crops. <laughs> yeah. But I bet the uh, increased pollination had a, had a play in that as well. well I really want to get to uh, Nepal. And I, get that uh, hallucinogenic honey. <laughs> all right, tell have me that I, stuff. No, I have not. It's a uh, they. It's it's that classic where the, the the Nepalese are extracting honey off the cliff faces. You know the bees make their oh like like their, so so wild lives. honey. Yeah, wild honey, and it's in certain areas in Nepal where there's a massive flowering of a super deadly toxic plant. And so its <laughs> nectar has that like potency in it, and the bees refine it into honey, and it, it becomes it it takes out a few of the carcinogens, but the toxic effects of it are still good. You can have like a teaspoon, and apparently it trips you out. But if you have like like a, like if you had a sandwich with it, you, you can you can like get paralyzed. It's like really oh, it's like really wow. dangerous. But that's like that's like on that's like you want to see like the the, the African nuke fences you want to see like the toxic honey from nepal there's uh, all that kind of stuff i want yeah. to really get my head in that because the, the um uh so in most of europe would they be running italian bees Is i think that- it's actually a surprisingly similar mix to what we have in australia Australia, okay because it's kind of similar to that uh you know, different kind of hives. Everyone thinks they know what they've got is the best and everyone is willing to uh, yep. go wherever they can go. I know a lot of Americans actually import the, uh, 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 what are they, the Kangaroo Island Queens yeah, from yeah. Australia. And well, I, I remember trying to get one. My hive turned a little bit nasty for a while. Right. And I sort of was like, wow, oh, man, this is, you know, because when I first started beekeeping, I was like a pair of shorts, <laughs> a, yeah. a T-shirt and a veil, and that was it. Um, yeah. I, was, I was so relaxed about it. And then my, yeah. I didn't realize that, you know, you sort of have to maintain the the, um, uh, the the mood of your hive, you know, that that was something that yeah. you could actually influence. And they started mm-hmm. progressively getting a little bit angrier, and I got stung yeah. up stung up one day and blew up really badly and sort of ever oh, okay s- it's not good yeah, yeah ever, ever since then i've been a little bit more careful but um i tried to buy a, a kangaroo while in queen and yeah they're, they're, they're just, pretty exclusive man they, they're not they easy to get hands on yeah <laughs> what you only want one of them <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's right Damn and, 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 you, and you're not you know you're not in the united states and buying them by the thousand sort of thing so. <laughs> exactly but yeah I th- i'm pretty sure i can't really speak uh, on behalf of the europeans i'm not 100 percent sure but i know that they're most likely, and I, from what I've heard, they have a mix. Um, but the second thing I'm really fascinated in is I've always been really interested in individuals and beekeepers in general. I have this theory that uh, once you reach a certain point in beekeeping or maybe like a level, a level of understanding or you reach a, I'm not sure where the point is or if you just successfully keep a colony over a year or something like that, it's like people get so addicted to it, they never stop. Mm. Yeah. And I just, I'm very interested in uh, what brings people, like, because there's, I don't know. I don't know if it, if you see that across other hobbies. I don't really have any other hobbies, so I wouldn't know. But uh, it's just interesting that uh, what 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 beekeeping does to people and how it draws them in. I'm always really fascinated in people's origin stories of how they got into bees. So well, that's yeah, what I'm uh, also going to be interested uh, in. I don't know if you heard Brad's story, but like I, I hear that quite a bit. Where you know he grew up with you know his family were into bees sort of yeah. semi-commercially and then he became a teacher and i think he i think he had a couple of hives or his family still had hives at his place and then he he, he essentially just got sucked back into it i think yeah I think, I've, I've, 
That's another interesting correlation. Typically, people that really get stuck into it have some kind of family connection to it mm. as well. It's really interesting. And I don't know if that's just an agricultural thing where it's, you know, do the thing that your family does kind of attitude. But even uh, like even just hobbyists, you say, oh, why are you into bees? They go, oh, well, I remember when I was a kid, my grandfather had hives and we always got fresh honey and I can still remember what it tastes like. And I've, I've been trying to find that same taste, you know, that kind of stuff. So that's what the Call Me Keeper blog is basically. It's basically three different parts. Yep. Journal is going to be my thoughts about where I'm at, what I'm doing, um, what's next, all that kind of thing. Places is just going to be a cliche travel blog to try and get more people on the website, I guess. But the one that I'm focused on that's not on the website yet, that's probably driving me the most, I'm calling Behind the Hive Tool, which is like a profile on individual beekeepers. I've got a couple red and rare to go, but I'm going to probably post them while I'm at camp so that the website and, you know, that thing's not so stale while I'm yeah. away for a few months. But yeah, that's really what I want to do is get out and find people with stories and kind of document that because I think it's worth documenting for me to honestly to be able to look back on, but it's also fascinating, I think. And I think oh. there's a lack of that in the bee industry as well. We need to focus more on the individual people, you know, instead of the because as much as I love the commercial guys, everyone who's trying to make a difference with bees by having a few hives is making the difference. Yeah. And I think sometimes a lot of the negative things are associated to the commercial guys and sometimes as well a lot of the positive things are put on the commercial guys. But a lot of the time the story is so much more complicated than the media or even some other beekeepers portray it as. Like they yeah. say, this is the problem, this is what we need to do. And, man, it's just so much bigger than that. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like it's, it's such, like you said before, it's such an intertwined industry where, um, you know, the way I behave affects, you know, the massive commercial guy down the road. Mm, exactly. Um, and, and that creates a sense of community, yeah, I think. Yep. And also a sense of responsibility that can turn someone whose livelihood is dependent on it into just like a really bitter, hateful, stay out of my way kind of person. But I think there's a real potential for us to all bolster each other mm. as an industry. And and something important I like to say as well as one of my mentor figures is a beekeeper, uh, Casey Cooper, former president of the New South Wales Beekeeper Association. He's from a town near where uh, my grandfather keeps his bees up in Inverell. Uh, he said to me, you know who industry is, Mitch? And I was like, yep. And he was like, well, let me tell you. <laughs> he said, anyone with a hive is industry. He said, I don't care if you have a thousand. I don't care if you have one. You are a part of the beekeeping industry. And that's because of that sense of intertwined responsibility that we all have for each other. And that's how I've looked at it ever since. And I think that's why be like proper beekeepers, like guys that know what they're doing, are so keen, are so happy to impart their Absolutely. knowledge. Because yep. the more skilled I am at it, the less, the less chance I have of fucking mm. up your livelihood, basically. Totally. And I think there's, there is definitely a cap. Like I, I often got um, criticisms by bringing in more bees to Canberra that that might offset the balance between, like, say, native bees and birds and things like that, mm. and whether or not that that struggle would create a decline for native bees, which is a real concern. But I think there's a cap that you have to reach with the. Like I think everyone in Canberra would have to have a beehive for it to be significant yeah. enough to cause that. But I think you get a, you know, like obviously you get a flow-on effect. The stronger hives you have, the better bees that that can fly further and pollinate more. It's going to create a flow-on effect where the the flora gets stronger as well. Yeah, and then that makes more healthier bees, and then you just get this chain of. Yeah, it flows oh, on pr well. Production, yeah. <laughs> I think an improvement. I, th I think I've I've been somewhere with that um 
with that overpopulation, and that is the the southern part of the North Island of New Zealand, because right. uh, when we were there, oh my god, so many hives, so many, yeah. and and massive hives. I'd never seen that in Queensland before, but like eight, nine box hives, you know. So dri- driving past apiaries with 150 mm. hives, and they're all. Like, I, mm. I, don't, I don't think I saw a single three-box or two-box hive the whole time I was in that part of New Zealand. Mm. But, um, but we were um, uh, camping in, in right on the bottom of the, the southern part of the, the North Island and there was bees sort of – they looked like they were hunting for nectar and they were like, you know, like on little tiny flowers and they just looked like they were working so hard. It just didn't yeah. – it, 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 yeah. did, it didn't look like um, – you know, like I, I guess I'd seen enough of my hives at home to know what bees on a flow compared to bees sort of hunting around looking yeah, for something to eat. Yeah, there is a significant eat. difference. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and I know I wondered whether it was just that time of year, but it was the end of summer, so you would have thought there would mm. have been something for them to eat, or whether there was just so many bees around that. Um, uh, and that was right in the middle of when manuka was really blowing up. So. Maybe, mm, it, ma- maybe, maybe every man and his dog was trying to get in on the manuka craze yeah, at, that, at that stage. So mm. I have seen bees also on on tea tree um, here in Australia, and they I think they do act a little bit differently on that stuff. I'm yeah. Not saying that they weren't act, they weren't actively to the point where they wouldn't be looking like they were struggling to forage. But man, there's something like well, Brad uh, Brad, a- Brad reckons they get angry. He reckons that right t- t- bees on tea tree get aggressive. It's like it's like rum. He, right. He reckons that yeah, you open a hive on tea tree and and they are a little bit less happy that you're there than right. normal. And then like you know, these are hives that he's moving around, so it's not like yeah, yeah. All of a sudden they're yeah. an angry. You know, they've yeah. got a a change of queen or they bred that way. It's just interesting. He, he's I haven't saying, heard that. Mm. I haven't heard that from my family, but I wouldn't be surprised because I actually think they know that they've got something special. <laughs> I uh, think they know that the nectar they're bringing in is different because. There was a story, uh, something Granddad told us once. He had bees on a yellow box forest, which is there's plenty of that in the New England area, and that's our staple for um, mass production of what we when we used to really try and get as much as we could before we slept into a more quality kind of area. Um, and there's a big difference for anyone who doesn't know between yellow box honey. It's really light. It's almost clear, super floral, really sweet and crispy. Classic just Australian honey and then tea tree if you or any liptospermin if you've ever seen that it's almost black if you get mm. enough of a, of a pure sample yeah um so he had a he had a site he'd been using for a, a couple seasons I think and he had them on the yellow box and the yellow box is flowering he assumed to see a lot of yellow box comes to his hives and opens them up and they're full of black really really like pungent <laughs> tasting offensive almost uh tea tree honey and he had to drive around to try and find it and there was a significant patch that was six five k's away and they were exclusively foraging it because we know that we know that bees will fly past resources if they know that there's something better that they can get to Um, once they've been told that it's there they'll ignore everything else and they'll go and find what they were told to find and so so what what are they like about tea tree is it just has it got properties in the honey that makes the hive stronger well, it's super antibacterial. We know that for a fact from 
the manuka stuff down south. That's a, they're getting that from a liptospermin type plant. And mm-hmm. We have similar plants here in Australia that you can get a similar product from. Like that's kind of in the media over the last couple of months. Is maybe Australia has antibacterial honey? Well, I, I can tell you for a fact that you do. We do. Yeah. We, we've had our honey tested in New Zealand, and it's come back antibacterial. So I think we're going to see a wave of that in the future of antibacterial Australian enough. But the Kiwis, those bastards, they trademarked every damn, <laughs> yeah, right. every damn buzzword relating to it. But I think they know. I think they know that what they're getting is super super i think it's just they know that it's got that antibacterial stuff in it it's probably way way better of a nutritional source as well there's something special about tea tree man we've known that for for ages with tea tree oils as well so yeah they know man they know have you ever heard of a sugar cane honey sugar cane honey in australia yeah i've I've, i can't remember where like when again when i started i read you know, every website and every blog yeah. and everything that I could. And the funny thing is I don't really like honey on toast. I find it too too sweet. Uh, too sweet, yeah. I use I use a lot in my cooking, um, mm. but ju- just on toast or bread, I'm not – It's not, not a fan. No, not a fan. <laughs> but I like golden syrup. And I've heard mm. of – I've heard of a honey where they've got into sugar cane and the honey right. comes out like golden syrup. Now – I can't remember where I read it, and I've never talked to a beekeeper that's actually seen it. So, I don't well, know. I, what, haven't, I uh, haven't heard of that, but i got to send you some of the stringy bark that we got this season. Uh, I think it was red stringy bark from the New England area, and I think that it tastes like golden syrup. I mean, it doesn't yeah, taste right. exactly like golden syrup, but it's definitely got that caramel kind of. Yeah, I think it's syrup. it's that more, that caramelly mm. sort of undertone that I like more than the the, the honey sort of like too over the top sweet, so yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I'm gonna have to send you a tub. I, I use a lot. I use a lot of honey in my, you know, just just general cooking. But um, yeah, uh, yeah, just not not straight on them or, or on cereal. Like it's just too sweet mm. to have on on mm. the cereal for breakfast. So it's kind of funny when you tell someone you're a beekeeper, they assume that you eat the stuff by the bucket. <laughs> it's well, like but- I. I eat honey pretty sparingly as well. We probably use it more in cooking as well, but <laughs> people pushing you're addicted to it. <laughs> well, you, you'll have to. Maybe you need to start a, um, a another page on your blog, and when you go around, you can have like a um, like, almost like wine tasting notes, and you can yep, you can document absolutely. every single honey you taste overseas. So I was thinking, I've, I've thought about that. Yeah, I agree. I was either going to incorporate it with the behind the hive tool and talk mm. about the person and talk about their honey, but it might end up becoming its own little section as well because there's definitely that foodie side to me that really loves the differences you can get in the honey. Yeah. And what makes it better? I've thought about it a lot. It's very interesting, isn't it? Well, I've, I've, so I've got a lot of fruit trees here, right. um, but I've just started to plant sort of like flower gardens, especially winter. I'm sort of really interested in trying to um, produce Doing some companion planting. Yeah, just produce stuff for them to 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 have a bit of a a, a winter flow. Like, do you, do you find that you can yeah. get a winter flow, or is it just sort of maintenance throughout winter? I mean, you can definitely get a winter flow on the coast, obviously, and you can get some sometimes in the New England area, but in Canberra, definitely not. Canberra's winter is just too too cold, too um, and we don't. We have a significant amount of biodiversity. There's definitely stuff out there for them to forage when on those sometimes warmer days, mm. but it's not enough for me to come and take take any, any hunt off. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I've just planted a whole heap of strawberries and thyme. Nice. And oh, what was the other flowers? There was a couple of native Australian flower packs. Yep. 
Um, yep. Nister- n- will I, will I um, forage nasturtiums? Ah, okay. Because nasturtiums produce huge amounts of flowers if you can get them going mm. in winter. And they, mm. do, and they do definitely have nectar because I can remember pulling the, you know, you pull the tip off and suck the nectar out. Like yeah. The, the, you know, as a little, that was what I used to do as a kid, so... Yeah, of course. Hey, cool. They're going to have a nice setup in a few months then, or a few years maybe. Yeah. Well, this is sort of just in front of my veranda, so it's sort of like a – and because I've moved one of my hives right near the house, um, and that's sort of my – to um, yeah, like my observation, just to, yeah, just yeah. to try and learn a bit more about their behaviour, whereas the other hive I've got down in the chook pen and it's sort of not really yeah. noticeable. So, Are you um, checking the weight of your hives regularly? No, that's not something I've ever really done. Just like, really, uh, just pick them up. Yeah, just just go up behind them and just pick it up with one hand and just feel the weight of it a little bit. Just just lean it forward. You don't have to move it very much. Just get the the weight of it. Yeah. Uh, that's something I really like reminding people to do because if you have a decent idea of how heavy your hive should be, um, you can you can make a, a bit of a guesswork as when they're starting to bring stuff in. Yeah, okay. Because it's gonna get it's gonna get consistently heavier over the day. You know, every time if you're did you say you got a hive in with the chooks. Yep. Whenever you go to grab some eggs, just give it a little uh, um, give it a little lift up. All yeah. that. That hunt that hive is packed. It's it's just about. Yeah. Um, I took wah, wah, two frames of the flow hive off, but mm. other, otherwise the the hive's pretty much full. So mm, good. Um, but I'm hoping to split it again next spring. So. But definitely a smart move to have that hive a little closer to home, so you can keep an eye on it because you definitely will start to notice difference in flight patterns and like uh, for instance, uh. Bees, when they're full of pollen and full of nectar and they're on their way home, if you sit there and watch on a flow, when they land, they come in and they land hard. Yeah, right. <laughs> and they usually miss the entrance, they'll land in front of it and then they'll kind of crawl into their hive because they're a lot heavier and it affects their... Uh, <laughs> their balance. Yeah, it does. It affects their ability to fly. They still can, but it's... Yeah, you can definitely see they come in and it's a hard landing. They they're have to adjust for their new weight. Well, one of the guys that sort of... Uh, influence my interest in bees is uh, he actually lives in New England or did it live in New England? He's an author, um, David Foster. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. That rings a bell for sure, yeah. Um, both him and his wife are authors and they sort of live on a little small holding up in New England. Right. Um, and he tells a story about uh, like they had a party and he was sort of sitting in the party, 20-odd people, and like a bee would just come up and sting him. And like by the hmm. by the third or fourth time he got stung, he's like, "All right, let's go." <laughs> and like, but he said, "There's there's twenty people there," and he is like, "He got he stung." Was the only one. He got stung six times. No one else got stung. What? And um, went and opened up the hive. Got like went and got dressed. Went and opened up hive, and one of the frames had collapsed in the middle oh. of the hive. So he's like, Weird. pulled the frame out, put a new frame in. Bees left him alone. So no problem. <laughs> Man, um, there's some there's some weird stuff that happens with with bees, especially if you keep them for uh, if they if they know you. So yeah, to speak. well, that, that, that's what stories like that you come across. That's what you're talking about, where you you know you have hives in one place for such a long time mm. um, that you know they sort of become attuned to you, and you become attuned to them. I guess so. it's interesting. Yeah, there's definitely 
something there that's uh, pretty hard to explain for sure because if, if they were legitimately singling him out, that would suggest that they would know who he was and that they'd be able to recognize him. And mm. these die every few weeks. It doesn't make sense that they would be able to recognize him. But, uh, hey, man, some stuff doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's very interesting. Same. And you come across those stories a lot as well. Yeah, it's just that's just so fascinating to me. I really want to. Mm. And I, I'd recommend the to, you know the book online to have a look at it, but it's super hard to find now. It's out of print. So oh, really, damn. Um, when you it, when you come back from your trip and you come back through Queensland, I'll lend it to you. But uh, yeah, great. I um I did, I, I planned to do a big. Uh, a bit of a drive around Australia because I wanted to talk to Casey Cooper and I wanted to talk to some other beekeepers in the New England area and I wanted to talk to like people like you come up and see the guys from B13rd and go down to Melbourne yep. and see the rooftop guys there you know and, and be able to do a behind the hive tour on them before I left but man planning <clears throat> excuse me planning an indefinite trip overseas yeah, and uh, packing down the bees for winter this time as well and just man I've, I've been and then I got sick man I got an ear infection and everything man I've been swamped so I haven't been able to get as much Australian behind the hive tools written as I'd like but yep. uh, well the guys from um, the guys from B13 Jack from B13rd is who got me yep. going again and they were awesome yeah so, right mm. yeah he's great he's uh, it's so funny um I was talking to mum the other day. I think we were the third or fourth urban honey guys to kind of come on the scene. And now there's kind of one or two in every city. It's almost like Game of Thrones kingdoms. Yeah. <laughs> like there's Doug in Sydney, the Melbourne guys, and then, yeah, Jack up in, in Brisbane. It's just so – I consider them my beekeeping cousins, to be mm -hmm. honest, because we're all kind of doing the same stuff in our own little kind of unique way. But, uh, yeah, they're awesome. Love them. Yep. Shout-outs to all the urban beekeepers in Australia. All right, mate. Give us um, give us the the address for the for the website so people know where Bit to of go. A plug, yeah. yeah you can find plugs. me find me at uh, callmekeeper.com. That's call with a C and keeper with a K. Uh, you can sign up, subscribe to the mailing list if you like, or just check in, see what I'm running. I'm gonna probably have a couple more blogs up before I go. I'm actually leaving next week, so it's gonna be pretty hectic. Um, you can find me on Facebook at Call Me Keeper as well, and on Twitter I'm called at called keeper on instagram i'm called dot me dot keeper so yeah plenty of cool things to come in the next few months from me and yeah. i definitely will be in touch with you as well bezo because yeah, yeah. uh, well, we can yeah. do a follow-up i think especially once i land in france i'd i mean in appy Mondier is going to be awesome there's i think that's gonna it's gonna really take off and i'll be doing a lot of writing about what i see and do there when yeah. I'm in Turkey, and that's in September, September 29th. So keep an eye out on my social media for uh, that time, for sure. Mm. Yep. No, that'll be um, that'll be awesome because um, be good to uh, like I've subscribed, so I'll I'll have I'll have a list of questions about a hundred long. So <laughs> yeah, so I'm always happy to talk. And you got me on Twitter. I realized I, I wasn't following you. I was like, oh man, this is so disrespectful. <laughs> that's oh, kind of this guy's uh, podcast. I'm not even following you on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter as much as I should be, but. Uh, yeah, for sure. Flick me a message anytime. Uh, it's it's really good for um, uh, that and Instagram are really good for sort of finding people with similar interests that are totally. good, good resources and um, yeah, you know that's but, why I'm kind of trying to I'm putting a lot of effort into really building the social media stuff because I know how important it is and I know that like I'm probably there's going to be times where I'm going to approach beekeepers I imagine overseas cold turkey and say hey I'm Mitch from Australia if you've got numbers it's kind of sucks but if you've got numbers they want to talk to you it's, yep. it, it does come down to being as simple as that yep. sometimes and as well just the social aspect when we launched the Call Me Keeper and did the post on the Facebook and stuff um, I've already got three people who contacted me you included that wanted to 
to help basically or, or be a part of it or talk you know like you contacted me about the podcast I had someone contact me for said when you're in New York let me know I'm a beekeeper I've, I know people that kind of thing had a guy in London say always happy to help out an Australian let me know that kind of stuff so yeah. already the response well, has been uh, awesome yeah well like that was you, you know like uh, you know I'm not a professional media person and you guys have sort of been yeah. You know, like it's it's in the back of my head. Oh, I should talk to the guys from Canberra. I should talk to the guys from Canberra. And it was literally yeah. your blog that you posted <laughs> up, and I was like, oh, well, I've got to talk to him before he goes yeah, yeah. because yeah. you know this is really interesting. Um, and yeah. it was just it was um, just hilarious that I had two sort of um, beekeeping things within a week. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, good. Everyone always loves talking about bees, man. Yeah. And once beekeepers start talking about bees, it doesn't stop. Hey, yeah. so. All right. Thanks, Mitch. Well, thanks so much for having me on. That's a bucket list ticked for me. Yeah. I always like to be on a podcast. <laughs> and um, I'll try and get this up tomorrow. So, um, so you can have a listen before you go. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll put it up on, on my website and uh, I'll, I'll throw it out there as well. Cool. Thanks, mate. Talk to you thanks, later. Bud. Thanks, bud. Thanks, mate. See ya.